Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now, it's Gabe time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake Oven. Like a boss, the best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's Gabe time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Kuhn Show. 92.9 FM ESPN. How about it? Happy Thursday out there. September 21st, 2023. And welcome in to the Gabe Kuhn Show. I am your host, Gabe Kuhn, former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman. On X at G underscore Coon 71. I'm alongside the executive producer of the Gabe Coon Show. That'd be Connor Dunning on X at C Dunning 929. Connor, what's the word, brother? How are you? What's up, man? So, uh, wedding, nine days away. We're into single digits, Connor. My aniver- my one-year anniversary is this weekend. It's starting to set in. You want to know why is I have a, a, a faux ring that I'm having to try on and wear and get used to. Hard I'm to not, get used to, bro. I'm not sure I've ever heard of someone trying on a ring and... And getting used to it. Well, I, I I've never worn any rings on my finger, so I just want to try and get used to it. I had a buddy who told me I needed to get used to it. Oh, I'm not sure I agree with that, but you know, you get it's after like a week or two, you don't even feel it. Like I sleep with it on, I take showers with it on, I never really take it off because you're so afraid to lose I it. I also, it's kind of funny. I have a uh, my my left ring finger is it got broken and never got reset, so it is uh, it's chunky. To say the least. Here's what I'll, I'll give you a hint because this happened to me last last winter. When it's cold outside, <laughs> your hands shrink. <laughs> yes. I shook my hands when we were playing in and the it snow flung off. with Memphis, and it flung off, and yeah. it flew in the middle of our yard. I had to I had to use the next door app to get somebody to let me borrow a uh, a metal detector. I was outside, <laughs> and ne- it was and it was when it was negative degree weather. It's when the ice storm happened when I lost this ring in my backyard. I have a, you know, I have a sizable right. backyard. No, I get it's, it. That's not nothing to brag about, but it's a backyard. And I was back there. I'm not kidding. I spent eight hours in negative degree snow weather trying to find this damn ring. And I finally found it. And it was one of the most triumphant moments of my entire life. I almost cried because I was so happy and so cold when I found this ring. Um, but yeah, nine days away, man. <laughs> You just, just no, no, had nothing, no response. I have no, no response. Notes. I'm glad just you wear found gloves. it. Wear gloves. I'm That's, glad just you, wear gloves. I'm glad you found it. I'll say that. I don't think I'll have those issues, though. My fingers, my, my, my fingers stay chunky. You say that now. You say that now. Yeah. It's like, a, do, you even know your, do you even know your size, your ring size? No, You're I don't. No, I'm at our good old RIJ helped me yes. pick it out, and they size me up there, and 
I, I wasn't really. They didn't tell you. You didn't pay attention. Well, they did the ring thing where they put them on your finger, and I was like, that one fits, and they did it. I don't I don't remember the size. Mine's a 15, so. I don't think mine's a 15. If I had to guess, mine's were, probably you, half you, that. If you cared, mine is a, uh, mine's a solid 15. So there's that. And bragging? <laughs> I don't know if that's a brag, brother. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just a fact. I, like, I, it's, like a, it's like sausage fingers. They're not that long. They're just real... They got some girth to them. <laughs> they got some girth to them. Now, three hours of talk on the way, courtesy of 92.9 FM, ESPN, and yours truly. We will talk about college football, the weekend that is upon us. Um, and in particular, I want to highlight a couple of games, and we'll get to a couple others as well. You know, the Pac-12, I think this is probably the most telling weekend of, of the Pac-12 we will see just about all year. We'll see sort of who can separate. It's a little bit of a separation Saturday, if you will, in the Pac-12. We'll discuss that. But Memphis versus Mizzou, it's going to be interesting, of course. Uh, line sticking at about six and a half. We don't know if the Mizzou starting quarterback, Brady Cook, is going to go. I did see, and we're going to have Ryan on the show tomorrow, Ryan Silverfield, head coach of the Memphis football team. I saw that they left today, though. They left today. They're uh, they're having a they're having a fun they're making a fun weekend out of it, which I like to see in St. Louis. They're headed to Top Golf like right now. They're at Top Golf, but it's it's rare to have like a practice for a regular season non conference game in the city you're going to be playing in. But they will be practicing in St. Louis tomorrow. I, f- I found that interesting. They're taking it seriously. They're trying to build a little camaraderie. That's that's cool to see along the way. But also, I'm going to pose this question, and I want you to chew on it before we get to it. When we talk about this Ole Miss at Bama game this weekend, for Lane Kiffin going against his former boss, Nick Saban. We know it hasn't gone for him that well since he's been at Ole Miss and had to play Bama. But is this the put-up or shut-up time? Is this is this the last-ditch effort for him to really get over on Nick Saban when that Bama program seems somewhat destabilized? I'll discuss that here in just a moment. And also, we have Grizzlies disrespect all over the place. I don't get it. Why was today the day? September 21st, a Thursday. Very, very random. But we have Evan Turner going on with J.J. Redick alongside Andre Iguodala, which kind of makes sense in itself. Um, But he says that the Grizzlies should move from Memphis to Nashville. We have uh, Jason Temp, who works for The Volume Sports, which is Colin Cowherd's podcast arm. He says that Jalen Brunson's a better player than John Morant. And we also have uh, Jalen Brown. He posted a thing a couple days ago saying, my guy, and it was a picture of him and Marcus Smart. Jaron went under the post and said, our guy now. And Jalen says, no, he doesn't F with y'all. He does not F with y'all. So there's just been all over the place disrespect for the Memphis Grizzlies. We'll talk about that throughout the show. And we'll talk about the Jason Temp quote saying that uh, Jalen Brunson is better than uh, John Morant. We'll talk about that in the Blitz alongside Minka Fitzpatrick, who had to explain himself for the hit he put on Nick Chubb that ultimately hurt him. I just can't understand why people think that was a dirty hit or that he's a dirty player in the slightest. Um, as far as guests are concerned, Jeff Calkins, 5 o'clock from the Jeff Calkins Show and Daily Memphian, and 6 o'clock per normal, Ryan Horvat, BetMGM Tonight, Odyssey Sports Betting Insider. We're going to get you a pick for Thursday Night Football. We have Giants visiting the 49ers without Saquon Barkley or without their best old lineman and Andrew Thomas. I don't like their chances, to say the least. I do not like their chances, but we'll see what Ryan has to say about it. And uh, we'll, we'll get his picks for the weekend in college football as well. And then small talk will hit at about 5.50. And uh, how do I put it? Mad Dog Russo <laughs> was on first take yesterday. 
and laid out his plans for his college football Saturday coming tomorrow. He said it's going to be rainy right by his house, so he's going to be in the house watching ball all day. Connor, is it fair to say I have a newfound respect for Bad Dog Russo? Is it fair to say? I think so. Maybe we relate to him a little Maybe bit more. Maybe relate we, to uh, him a little bit more. we realize we could. Yes, but Perhaps I, thought, I treated you too harshly. It's true. Like, his plans, and I don't want to ruin them, but his plans sound very relatable to a lot of, the, uh, a lot of our audience and a lot of the people that will uh, be sitting on their, on their behinds on their couch watching, watching college football on Saturday. Separation Saturday. So that that's fun in itself. Of course, we take a trip around the NFL at 530, and there's some nasty, nasty notes that we have to get to. Trayvon Diggs. Oh, I hated to see that. Obviously, I picked the Cowboys to come out of the NFC, but Trayvon Diggs today, they've they thought that it was a torn ACL, and they have confirmed through an MRI that it's a torn ACL. So we'll talk about that and other things when we get to the trip around the NFL. Brutal year for injury so far. Absolutely brutal year. Yeah, you know, I see a lot of people saying, I wish we could, you know, I wish we could, you know, take injuries out of the game. You can't do that in football, but damn. Like, you really do wish. You have Nick Chubb going down for a long, long time. Trayvon Diggs gets that five-year, $97 million contract extension, and now we have an ACL injury for him. And, like, that, that secondary was so much improved, and a lot of it has to do with Trayvon Diggs and how much he's changed. Over the years, he used to be a sort of boomer bust player. When they took him out of Alabama, he has changed his game. He he can drape all over people in uh, in, in man-to-man coverage. He sticks to him a whole lot better. He still has his interceptions, but it, that's a brutal loss. I mean, Stephon Gilmore and him they they were they were fixing to be sort of the the best duo of corners this league will see this year, and now he's going to be out for the rest of the year, and and hopefully he can make a full recovery and be back next season. For the Cowboys. But let's start with this Mizzou Memphis game. I got to be honest, I, I am happy to see that they took a day, uh, a trip a day early. They want to get build some camaraderie at the Top Golf there in Chesterfield. About five minutes from my childhood home, by the way. Fun fact there, Connor Dunning. Five minutes away over there in Chesterfield from my childhood home. Um, but I, I look at this game and I've talked about it on several occasions. I talked about it very, very, you know, in depth yesterday. I think this is the perfect. The perfect formula for the Memphis Tigers to upset the Mizzou Tigers. Mizzou Tigers going on the road. They have to go to St. Louis. Um, They're coming off an emotional high. You may be down your starting quarterback, and the Tigers have a long week of preparation. They They played Thursday against Navy. They've had a couple of extra days to hone in on this Mizzou team. So I think that's there. But I think I have downplayed the fact of how important this could be for the Ryan Silverfield era. Of, of Memphis Tiger football. If he wins this game, goes on the road, beats their road woes, because the, the truth of the matter is they have not been a good road team under Ryan Silverfield. They have really struggled. And I know some people will say, oh, it's a neutral side game. It's a home game for Mizzou. It's in St. Louis. It's in the state of Missouri. But he has not been good on the road. You can beat those road woes. You can beat an SEC team. And you can start yourself on a great foot before you get to Boise State and then that second conference game against Tulane. You need to build confidence. You need to find ways to move forward. There's a lot of people that have jumped off the Ryan Silverfield boat, and for, for good reason, quite frankly. They're six and six, three and five in conference the last two years. There's been excuses about, oh, well, the team's too young. The team is not fully bought in. He's got some guys in his. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Corner now, a lot of transfers, a lot of older guys where those excuses have completely dissipated. You go into St. Louis, you get this win, and you look at the rest of the group of five and who could potentially be in that New Year's Six Bowl game. UTSA's already lost twice. Um, you have a team in Boise State who has not looked good so far this year. Tulane's still up there, no question about it. James Madison's probably the best team in the Sun Belt, but they're not ready. They cannot play in postseason football. If you win this game, you stamp your claim atop the group of five in a lot of ways alongside Tulane, who you will play in just two weeks. So I feel like the importance of this game to get this fan base back on board is massive. And not to mention, I sort of look, if you go 4-0 and you beat an SEC team in St. Louis, come back to the Liberty Bowl, come back to Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium for a game against Boise State, who is just, you know, I mean, that is a, that is a premier opponent in the group of five. What does the stadium look like? What does the Liberty Bowl get packed up like? I think that is just as important as anything we see on the field. Absolutely. I think, you know, you win this type of game and it gets some people who may have jumped off the boat, like you said, back on board at least for another week and they want to see what you do against Boise. It is kind of wild how the narrative about this team can change so quickly because a week ago we were feeling, you know, very confident heading into a a Navy game that we thought they were going to take care of business. We came out of it Friday and we had some questions and we were a little shaky and now and now a week later, we're saying, okay, you win this game, all of a sudden you could be at the top of the group of five, and that's just because UTSA is having a disappointing season. Like you said, Tulane's still there, but Boise looks vulnerable. So the stage has been has been set for a potential run here for the Memphis Tigers um, to get you know just, I think, public opinion back on their side. I, I do want to ask you, do you think that a win against Mizzou, let's say that they beat Mizzou, but they have a couple of disappointing losses maybe the next few weeks or at the end of the season, he, he ends up with eight wins. We've said that we feel the benchmark is nine to, for him to 100% nine, keep yeah. his job. Just, but nine feels like 100%, no questions asked. Yes. Eight, some people I think are still going to be saying, hey, maybe we want to go I a different direction. I think he keeps his job at seven. But you really beyond, you think seven? That, I think seven would, I mean, really? depending, depending on what the, the Liberty Bowl looks like the rest of the year. But seven wins, I mean, I, I still I still feel like that is... Does that seven wins include it doesn't, it doesn't, the Mizzou game? It doesn't improve what the fan base thinks of you. But at the same time, I feel like seven wins is a benchmark to at least keep the job. Does that ha- but year. does that include the Mizzou game? I don't know. 
I mean, if he went seven without the Mizzou, I don't know. I don't know if that's possible yeah. to keep it. That, okay, that would okay, be. Okay, but but what but but what what question basically? I was gonna I was gonna I was gonna ask would would the Mizzou win at eight keep him keep yes. him there? Yeah. I, seven feels low. I it's it's hard for me to really grasp because I I look at like the decision makers behind the scenes. You're graduating a lot. You're bringing in good recruiting classes. You're 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 doing what you can. Like I just wonder, even at seven, if that's enough to push him out of the door. But I don't. I, I let's not talk about that yet because I think they have a they have a lot ahead of them. They have a lot ahead of them. They can get done. And I think again, the benchmark should be eight. But if you win eight games and one of those is against Mizzou, you feel a lot better. You have beaten an SEC opponent basically on the road. Yeah. And you feel good about the, the potential direction. Of where this team could head if you continue to add to those recruiting classes that you that you have that you've kept around, and then you'd have Seth Hennigan for another year potentially. I feel like there's a lot that you could still like about this program if you have eight wins, and Mizzou is one of those. Because I think in a lot of ways, especially at a place like Memphis, where it's been so hard to schedule home and home, so hard to schedule those SEC premier Power Five opponents. Um, winning those SEC games when they come around, they almost feel like one and a half to two wins. They right. fe- they feel very much very so. substantial. But it goes back to the point we had yesterday with Jeff when Jeff joined the show. Um, you know, the win against Mississippi State was fun in the moment. You were undefeated. You felt great about yourself having beat that team, um, especially at Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. But you went on to go six and six. You felt okay about that UCF win at home, but you went on to be eight and three and go to a regular bowl game. Right, so like, if you beat Mizzou here, you still want to hold up the rest of your schedule and be good in the AAC, and and I feel like everything's you get a free shot, right? This to, even if you lose this game, even if you lose this game by seven to ten points, you have everything still in front of you. You have a game against Boise State that you can uh, save your non-conference schedule with, then you have the rest of AAC play that you can play with. And, and, and see what happens. You get a shot at Tulane. You're going to get a shot down the stretch at SMU. You can save the season even if you lose this game. But it feels like a free shot against a team that, quite frankly, a Mizzou team and a Mizzou program that seemingly disrespected the University of Memphis by saying, we don't want to play at your place. We're going to pay you to come to St. Louis, and, and you won't get that extra home game that you thought you were going to get. So I feel like this is a free shot for this team and a, and a very important shot to show that, hey, we may have taken some steps back, but we're building back up and we can still be and compete with teams that may be on the national, national media's you know, uh, eyesight. They may be in the national media's eyesight. This team, again, this Mizzou team, again, last week beat Kansas State at home on a 61-yard field goal, the number 15 team in the country. They're on the precipice of being ranked. If they beat this Memphis team by a fair amount of points, they probably will be ranked. So I, I think there's a lot ahead of this team, regardless of how this game goes. Yeah, it feels like Mizzou is vulnerable at this moment because of what's going on with their quarterbacks who take advantage of this opportunity that you've been given, especially with, you know, we talked about the, you, you really have a chance to establish yourself as, okay, Memphis is on the right trajectory. They're heading back to what they were the last few seasons. Now, to win this game, what do you think the keys are for Memphis? Do you think it, it comes down to the to Watson? Is it is it Hennigan? Is it the receivers, the secondary? Of, of course, feed your playmakers. I think, and this is this is going to be me and the O-line guy speaking, You have to, <laughs> but you have to compete in a big way against yeah. an SEC front seven. There's no, there's no way you can win this game if this O-line gets completely engulfed by everything that Mizzou has on that side of the ball. It's bigger players, it's better players, it's higher recruits. You have to make sure that you compete 
at the very least, you're going to get beat play to play. There's no doubt about it. But at the same time, you have to hold in there, keep Seth Hennigan upright, and let him deliver balls from the pocket. And then also on the other side, I think the truth of the matter is, uh, regardless of who's at quarterback, if you can get after, get pressure on the opposing quarterback, you're going to be in a better spot. Because I feel like Mizzou has some really good receivers. Yeah, Luther Burden is the guy you have to absolutely, you're going to have to bracket him, you're going to have to throw double teams at him, you're going to have to bother him in some way. But there's a guy named Mookie Cooper, who's from St. Louis, really good player. They have Theo Weiss Jr., who's a solid player. Uh, you know, over there, if you can get pressure after the quarterback, you take a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the emphasis of blanketing those receivers. You, you take that off that secondary. I think the secondary has improved. Um, I think they have a lot of guys. They're deeper than they ever have been, but they face a, a tough test. One of the toughest tests they're going to have to face of the year. If that's if that old, if that D line can help you, and you know whether it's Brady Cook or Sam uh, Sam Horn in the pocket, if they can get him on the ground rush a couple throws, make him throw erratically, I feel like you really help out your secondary and, and, and get that Mizzou offense off the field. Do you expect the offense to look any different than we've seen throughout the first three games? Because there has been an idea that, one, you can kind of throw out the Navy thing because it's Navy, you have to prep differently for that. And the first two games were against lesser opponents, so they didn't want to show too much. So do you expect to see something from this Memphis offense in terms of schemes that we haven't seen before? Um, quite frankly, no. Really? Uh, you know, I, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of, of different looks that they've thrown out there. I think what you what we saw in that Navy game is they finally went back to that split backfield, you're in gun, and you have a, a running back on either side of the quarterback of Seth Hennigan. That's something I expect them to get into. It throws different looks. You can use some misdirection out of that type of look and then bother the Mizzou defense. And when you go against maybe a more talented front, you want to get those linebackers using their eyes and moving different ways. You need to get every little advantage you can, whether you're running a play action, whether you're running a misdirection run play. You want to get them moving the ways. You want to influence those safeties and those linebackers. And I feel like out of that type of look they can. But I don't know. It's frustrating, Connor, because I, I don't know after a year and three games with Tim Cramsey, I don't know if I've seen this crazy amount of inventiveness, these, these different plays you put in for a, a particular defense. Under Mike Norvell, I can tell you for a fact, based on defense, based on look, based on how guys played, what you picked up on their tendencies, you'd have different looks and, and different run schemes uh, that you run different ways each week. I haven't seen that type of inventiveness with this offensive staff yet. And I, I, until I start to see that, I'm going to lean on the side of it being relatively vanilla and what we've sort of seen be, be status quo for the past year and three, three games. How difficult can it be for a defense to go from a team like Navy to a team like Mizzou? It's just completely different styles, completely different level of play, and then you have that star wide receiver that you're going to have to deal with. How is the prep different from week to week? After you're playing after a Navy game, well, honestly, it's strange because I think going into this week, you're going to have more of a normal prep because a lot of teams run offense like like Mizzou does. Most of the teams on your schedule run offense more similarly to Mizzou. So you're coming off this week in Navy, you can put that completely behind. You don't have to worry about that anymore. And we saw them go against Arkansas State, terrible team. Don't get it twisted. But at the same time, they like to spread it out and throw the ball a little bit. You get back to some of those schemes with Mizzou. Now, Mizzou will execute substantially better than Arkansas State, but it's more of a normal – I feel like you're getting back to a normal offensive look that you're going to see week to week. So I don't expect that to be that big of an issue. But we will learn 
about the level of defense that this team can play. I always said that the first six games of the year, I think the defense will outpace the offense. I think they have more depth. They have more talent on that side of the ball. But now you get that SEC opponent. You get a, you get a team and a, a player in Luther Burden who is just substantially more talented than what you've seen. Can you play defense at the same level even seeing that stepped-up competition, that stepped-up talent? That's going to be the question for me. But I, I, don't, I don't think it's it, – I don't think that going from Navy to Mizzou is the issue here. I think it, it would be going from a you know, Mizzou-type team to Navy. That's where you run into issues because it's just so, mu- so much different. Right. Right. So I think they're coming out of that. They can leave that all behind them and, and focus on the, on the first thing here, and that's a lot of teams that like to run spread – uh, you know, get into gun, do that type of thing. So I, I don't, I don't expect the defense to be thrown for a loop this week, if you will. They see this type of offense day to day when they go against the offense from Memphis. You briefly touched on it, but what? Take us inside the offensive line room when you're getting ready for a team from the SEC. You know that you're going to be, you know, outmanned a bit, a bit by ability and size. How do you prep? for a defensive line like that when you're on the offensive side? You take it upon yourself, right? Like, that's the only thing you can do. You have to put. You have to literally look inside. Your, I know how, how corny this is going to sound, but you have to look inside yourself, bring an extra little bit out, and just work together the best you can. Like, you, you cannot you, – you there's an extra bit of intensity you get when going against an SEC opponent. And I expect these guys to bring it. But, you know, from a talent perspective, what they're running, we'll see how that looks. But I, I don't think – I don't think there's anything in particular that you have to hone in on. I, I think you sort of look at, at film, look at tendencies of the guys you're going against and try to pick up on those tendencies as an offensive lineman. And I hope this whole line, I think that's going to be one of the keys to the game, is holding up, keeping Seth Hennigan upright, finding a few running lanes for Blake Watson, Sutton Smith, Jay Ducker, then we can move from there. Now, uh, moving on, we do have the Ole Miss versus Bama game. And I have one question about this, and this is just sort of where I'm at. Is this a, is this a now or never moment for Lane Kiffin to get over top of his old boss? The reason I ask this, because Nick Saban's having a lot of issues this year. There's no doubt about it. His old line may be a little too big. They're barreling. They're slow. They have uh, given up a lot of pressure in the in the uh, in the pass protection realm, they have the worst sack rate allowed in the Power Five through three weeks. Like that's not good. And I think on the other side, Ole Miss has ten sacks through three weeks. They've shown that they can rush the passer. Um, but getting over top of Nick Saban is so, you know, vital for Lane Kiffin this year because we've seen Nick Saban in the past. What does he do better than anybody? He adapts. New age of college football comes, NIL comes, transfer portal comes. He gets into the transfer portal. He, he tries to do everything he can to raise money for NIL. Bryce Young had a uh, seven-figure deal in NIL. Like, he did everything he could there. Early 2010s, you saw they had that ground control play defense style. They got burnt by the end of it. They got burnt. They saw a couple of teams that spread it out and threw it all over them. They got beat. So what did Nick Saban do? He proceeded to bring in the best four-quarterback run we've probably seen in, in college football history. Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovailoa, Mac Jones, and then Bryce Young. And then this year, he sees Georgia. Oh, they're doing this ground control, run game, defensive thing that we were doing in the early 2000s, and it's paying back off. You know, we go through these cyclical things in, in, in football, and in college football in particular, so he switches back. He tries to go back to it. But now he realizes, damn, I don't have a quarterback. I'll tell you right now, looking at this year, 
You have Tyler Buckner. You have Ty Simpson. You have Jalen Milrow. He's going to start Jalen Milrow. Going into the future, the twilight of Nick Saban's career, he's never going to get caught with his pants down like this again. He will find a quarterback by hook or by crook. He'll find a transfer portal guy. He will develop what's on his roster. He'll find a guy who can develop what's on his roster. Or he'll get somebody out of high school who's a number one recruit overall and promise him, hey, this is your team from day one. He will never get caught like this again. So that's why I think when we talk about Ole Miss going to Bama and Bama in this sort of influx state where the O-line doesn't look good. You don't have great weapons on the outside. You don't have this good quarterback. Ole Miss has to take advantage right now. Lane Kiffin has to take advantage right now if he ever wants to get this win over Nick Saban. I know it's in Tuscaloosa. I know hard how hard it is to go win, but we saw Texas do it earlier in the year. Lane Kiffin has to take advantage right this second because I'm, I'm telling you Nick Saban sees a year like this. He feels, uh, you know, sort of uh, behind the eight ball in a lot of ways. He doesn't want to feel like that consistently, especially with the last few years of his career. He will come back next year no matter what the situation is this year. If they lose two games, three games, he will make this team better going into the twilight of his career. I think Lane Kiffin has to get it done right this second. And, and, and quite frankly, like I just look around 17-3 to against South Florida. You, you, you can't keep your quarterback upright. This is the moment. This is the moment for Lane Kiffin to go get after this Bama, this Bama team and get the Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's gonna go! Alvarez ties the game! Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Get the win that he wants. Be the fourth Saban disciple that has beat him at his own game. It also feels like a big moment for Jackson Dart. You know, he's had a, a pretty damn good season thus far, and if you were able to get over the top of a team like Alabama, it feels like it could be a coming-out party for him in a way. Well, and Jackson Dart, quite frankly, I, this is the best football I've seen him play. Yeah. So far this year, 66% of his Passes have been completed, 852 yards, 7 TDs, 1 INT. He's starting to throw the ball a little bit more downfield, 12.5 yards per attempt. Um, He's still running the ball at a high level. He has 213 yards and two touchdowns. Um, The one thing for them that they're going to have to focus on, because I think Jackson Dart, I don't want to say he's a given, but I think he's been the guy that they can rally around um, uh, in in a big way, like especially in that two-lane game. He was the guy who in that second half took it upon himself to go make things happen. I feel like he's somewhat of a given at this point. They have to get this run game going, though. These running backs have to start taking advantage. And that was something you thought was a given going into the year with Ulysses Bentley and Quinshawn Judkins, who was all SEC his freshman year, who was unbelievable. You thought that was going to be easy, but if they can down the stretch of the season, especially in this Bama game, establish the run and really control the line of scrimmage, like Texas did against Bama, they have a big chance to win this game. What do you think the key is for Alabama to try to contain Jackson Dart? Because it's, like you've said, it's just been an in, a, a very odd you know, season for Alabama with, thus far. With Alabama, it's strange. I, do, I don't like, you know, there's a couple guys up front that you talked about that were talked about in the preseason. Jaheim Otis is a big old D-tackle that you're happy about, that you that you think should be solid. He hasn't been all that great. He's been solid. You have Chris Braswell, who can rush the passer. Um, you, you have the Dallas Turner, who can rush the passer. Those guys have to step up 
Um, but even more so than that, what I've seen from Bama the past couple of years when it comes to coverage busts, just their back end not holding up well enough. You saw it in the Tennessee game last year. You saw it in the Texas game this year. They have to limit those damn things. I always say in college football compared to the NFL, the reason you don't see as many deep pass plays and as many big shots hitting in the NFL is because you have so many more coverage busts in in college football. And Alabama, up until the last few years, had avoided those big coverage busts year after year, but it's caught up to them. And Kevin Steele, I mean, based on that Texas game, has not even gotten them – gotten them all squared away on that. So that secondary just has to be better. They have some talent back there. They just have to make sure they're in the right place at the right time. They're using their eyes correctly. Because that's the biggest difference I saw with that Alabama team this year and or, well, this year and even parts of last year is they just busted so many damn coverages and it put them in terrible position week after week. Now this week for the Pac-12 is huge, man. Like I, again, I know they're going to turn into dust. After this year, and all these teams, besides the the one game, of course, we have Oregon State visiting Washington State. The two teams are going to be left behind, and that's a ranked game. But you have Colorado at Oregon, then you're going to have uh, uh, then you're going to have UCLA at Utah, and you have Oregon State at Washington State. I want to see who shows their power, who flexes their muscles the most this week, and I think that that team, unfortunately. For a lot of people that have followed Prime, that have, have really loved this story, I think that team's going to be Oregon. Colorado has to go on the road, 2.30 game. It'll be on ABC. Everybody's going to be following it. But they have to go on the road without Travis Hunter, their best cornerback, their best wide receiver, after an emotional win that they got the, the twilight of that game last week. And it was like 1.30 when they finally got over top in 2 OT. I stayed up for the whole thing. That's how I know. Um, but they have to go on the road, 21-point dogs, against an Oregon team that's 10 in the nation, and Dan Lanning has talked a lot. He talked a lot of trash about Colorado when they left for the Big 12. He was basically saying that, what have they ever done for this conference? Have they ever won anything? I'll wait. And then he left the podium shortly thereafter. I I feel like this is the moment for Oregon to sort of put a, not fully nip in the bud, but nip in the bud, the, the early season heroics, the, the, the following that coach prime and this Colorado team has and the problem I have is I feel like Oregon has a lot more in the trenches than Colorado. And Colorado's O-line has been miserably bad. And that's why I have so much respect for Shador Sanders. He's gotten knocked on the ground at least four times a game, five times a game, because his O-line can't hold up. They, 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 as much as I love what Prime has done in the transfer portal, and, and as much as it doesn't surprise me, he really attacked the skill positions. He really found all these athletes but he does not necessarily know the offensive line and defensive line. He doesn't necessarily know what he needs to do in in regards to sort of building a program from the ground up in in those particular areas. And I feel like Oregon, that is something they've tried to hang their hat on. Um, But it is a 21-point line. That's going to be a tough one for them to cover, but it'll be in the rain. There's potential for rain. And we know that that Colorado offense can't run the ball, so throwing the ball could be a little bit more challenging for Shador this week. This Oregon team, though, I just feel like has a whole lot more. And um, when you look at the top of the Pac-12, there's, a, there's three teams in particular I think have the full capability of winning the thing. That's USC, that's Oregon, and that is uh, Washington with Michael Penix Jr. and him throwing the ball all over the place. I feel like Oregon, if they win this game by a whole lot and sort of show who they are, 
on the national scale, I feel like they will be almost favored to win the Pac-12 in a lot of ways. Now, USC still has Caleb Williams, but defensively, they struggle. I feel like Oregon could show themselves to be the most complete team in this conference by the, by the weekend's end. Well, because their running game is tremendous, too. Their running game, like Bucky Irving, that dude can move. And Noah Whittington, he's a good, he's a good, he's a good ball player. Now, I did think in that Hawaii game, and maybe they were just trying to get, uh, you know, Bo Nix going. They didn't really run the ball. They didn't try to establish it in a in a heavy way. And they have a few guys that they try to give the ball to. Jordan James is another guy. They they go by committee, but all those guys can go. I saw, you know, Bucky Irving had a hell of a game last year in the Holiday Bowl when they played North Carolina. I mean, do you know ran. what he's averaging per rush right, right no, now? No, I, I don't. Eight. Eight, Eight yards, yards of rush. <laughs> yeah, but he's, he's, a, he's a solid player. I, I just feel like, you know, clock's not going to strike midnight for, for prime by any stretch of the imagination. I think the hype will st- still be there, but this Oregon team's a different level of competition that they haven't seen. Listen, this point, And quite frankly, Connor, like this, people have asked me all week, can, can Colorado beat Oregon? And my response has been this. I say, no. But quite frankly, that's okay. Yes. That's fine. It's not a slide against against Colorado by any means. They by tripled ESPN, their wins already. By ESPN FBI, they were, I think the number of wins they were supposed to have this year was 2.73. They've already passed that. So, like, I, I think they'll win some games down the stretch of the season. You look at the rest of their schedule, and they have some winnable games. They've, they're already at three. You have at Arizona State. You have Stanford on the schedule. You have Arizona. And then maybe you could spring an upset UCLA, Oregon State, Washington State, Utah, whatever it is. But I think there's enough on the schedule left to get bowl eligibility. And I don't know who you I don't know what anybody else was thinking. That was sort of the peak of what I thought this Colorado team could achieve or should achieve in year one with fifty-three new players and eighty or fifty-three new scholarship players and eighty-three new players on the roster. You can't turn over a roster and expect to be in the college football playoff. <laughs> it's 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 hard to do. It's hard to do. Now, after this season, if they make a bowl game, then you start to put the expectations in different spots. I think that, you know, Dion needs to look inside himself and say, okay, O-line, D-line, that should be the only focus in recruiting, especially if we keep Shador, we keep Travis Hunter, the whole thing. But, I, you know, I, I think this year the peak of what they should accomplish or 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 – you know, need to accomplish is, is getting into that bowl game after these first three wins. Right, and I would feel better about their chances against Oregon if Travis Hunter was playing. I think that's a huge factor. That's a massive factor. He's their best secondary player, and they're going up against a very good quarterback. And best wide receiver, man. We can yeah. say that, too. Yeah. I do want to ask you this. You've, you've brought this up a few times um, during this segment, talking about the emotional high, coming off of an emotional high win. Do you remember having a week after a huge win where it was difficult to get into the game because it didn't have – that big hype, like so the hypeness it, of the it previous can, it week. It can go. Here's, here's. I'm glad you bring this up because it can go either way. If you have an emotional win or an emotional loss, mm-hmm. I remember in 2015 we were eight zero going into the game against Navy. So we lost to Navy and we wanted to regroup. Right? We're like, damn, we just got our ass kicked. Emotional low. Let's let's turn this around, make something happen. So next week we end up going to Houston, right? And we play our ass off in the first half. Just start. Kicking their ass up and down the field, uh, everything we were doing was working. Our defense did a good job against Greg Ward. We were up pretty substantially. Now they end up coming back late in that game. There's a pick on Paxton on an RPO. They win the game, and I don't think we ever recovered from there. I don't think it was an emotional loss, but it was an emotional high in a loss 
that we were never able to cover. We went to Temple the next week, lost 30 to 13, whatever the final score was. I, I try to erase it from my memory. But I think when you get into an emotional game that comes down to the, to the wire, comes down to the end, no matter what that game is, that's an emotional high that you have to try to sort of put in a memory bank and move on quickly. Now, there's some teams that can do that, some teams that, that can't. And I think when we're talking about Mizzou, in particular, when I'm talking about that emotional high, um, yeah, I guess the hope for Memphis is they, they cannot respond as well. They cannot respond as well. But I think that that is always something you have to pay attention to when you're talking about week to week, the grind of a college football season. Now, we need to go ahead and grab a break. When we come back, we'll, uh, we'll get to the first part of the Grizzlies' disrespect that we saw today on the World Wide Web. And that's Evan Turner. Evan Turner, former NBA player, says that the Grizzlies should move to Nashville. We'll discuss that next, 92.9 FM ESPN. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 